This is Rob McClellan with Think Smart with TMFG from the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management. Today, we have a special guest. Joining us today is Steve Lowry, who is a financial advisor that I've known for many years out of Barrie, Ontario. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to get started just to give our audience an idea of, of who you are. Tell me about, you're in Barrie now, did you grow up in Barrie? Or tell me about your childhood and, and, uh, and schooling. Well, I grew up in Barrie, so I was, parents moved there when I was two years old. Stayed there until I went to university, then I went to school in Kingston, went to Queens. Okay. University, traveled all through Europe, backpacked through Europe for almost a year. Came back. I guess if I should just back up, I was went to business school and I graduated in 1990. Okay, so was, what, what, what was it called at that time? Just Queen's Business School? Or was uh, it? I have a Bachelor of Commerce, so the okay. Queen's, Queen's School of Business. Got it. Yeah, it was, wasn't the Smith School of Business, okay. just the Queen's School That's of what I was wondering, yeah, because yeah. mine changed as well. Yeah. Okay. So it was pre-Smith, pre um, same, similar. It's modeled after the University of Chicago Business okay. School. Um, and I graduated in 1990, and those who went around, 1990 was a horrible recession for financial services. Yeah. So I didn't get a job out of university. So I thought, okay, I'll go to Europe, went backpack for Europe for almost a year, came back and didn't quite want to get a job. So I went out to uh, Vancouver, and we're doing this in Whistler, and I happened to be a ski bum for a year. <laughs> nice. That explains why you're such a good skier. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Now I know the secret. So how did you get started in the business? What was your first sort of entry point? It's, I, I wish there was a really good story about it, about like I had a passion for it, but I, I after I moved back, I moved back to Barrie from after being a ski bum in Vancouver and Whistler. And I thought, boy, I, I better break down and get a real job. And there was a guy I went to school with that was working at the time at Midland Walnut, which became Merrill Lynch, which got bought up by Wood Gundy. Right. Um, and uh, so I, I called up my friend Bruce and said, Bruce, like, what do you what do you do? And he told me about it. I said, well, that sounds kind of cool. And he goes, well, Steve, let me introduce you to my manager. And lo and behold, I got offered a, a job as a, as a junior advisor, junior uh, working with the senior advisor. Right, at that time. right. And so were you classified then as a broker? I, I was, a yes, a broker, a, a good old stock broker working right on Bay Street. <laughs> Okay, so I guess now as we discover the story, we're going to find that you're a, a reformed broker. I'm a reformed broker, exactly, exactly. So talk to me a little bit about um, your practice, who you look after, what does your average client look like, um, you know, number of employees, etc. So my pra uh, practice, we deal with, uh, well, right now, 78 families. So fairly small, but concentrated practice. Um, the majority of my clients are, are business owners, owner, owner, family businesses. Um, and that was, uh, a niche that I started with a number of years ago. Just, just, I find I, I, I like entrepreneurs, like working with work, work, working with them. And from a financial you know, perspective, they've got a lot of needs. You know, they don't have like pension plans. They got to look after. Absolutely, them. they yeah. got to look after themselves. Yeah, yeah. So they they uh, they need advice, and I, I think what the other interesting thing if what I found if I if I meet a business owner for the first time, 
um, and this is kind of maybe dating myself, but they'll say, how's your business doing? And they'll pull out their left drawer and they'll tell me to a dime how well their business is doing. And I say, well, tell me about your personal finances. And they'd open the right drawer and there'd be a stack of paper and oh, I've got this, I've got that, and they have no idea. So I said, I, my, what I try and do is make things as organized with your personal finances as, as they are with your business. Great, great. And, and it's so true because if you're a business owner, you're so focused on running your business. That's your big priority. That's your bread and butter of, of the whole, you know, your life, really. Yeah. That's what supports your lifestyle. And, and the rest of it is, is secondary. Exactly. Tell me a little bit about, so I've always found it difficult, especially with business owners, in terms of getting them to take a piece of their business and the cash flow from the business and, and put it into investments. Because they, they always just want to say, well, Rob, I'm earning 20% of my business. Can you get me 20%? And I say, no. And they say, well, why should I give you any money? And I said, well, you know, I'll use the theme of, well, every business goes bankrupt eventually. I'm sure yours won't. But just in case, I think it's important to have a backup. So how do you handle that? I think the way I look at it is, uh, um, it, well, it's sort of similar to the idea is going bankrupt. Was Let's just suppose we'll do a financial plan. Let's assume your business goes to zero. Like I know, you know, what's the likelihood of it really low, but let's just assume it goes to zero. Where's your backup? You've got this really successful business and like a lot of successful businesses, they're making more money than they, they need, like more than the lifestyle needs. So they've got excess cash flow. So why don't we take that excess cash flow and invest it? And we've got a backup plan. So if, you know, it's not a huge probability, but maybe your business goes, you know, something happens, your business goes to zero. Here's your backup plan. Got it. Is it difficult to get them to put money into an RSP account, a TFSA account? I sometimes find that accountants really want to restrict how much money is coming out of the corporation, so they really limit the income they're, they're taking out. Do you find that as well? or is it, it, it varies. I think with RSPs, some, some business owners will just pay themselves dividends, so then an RSP doesn't make sense. Right. Um, but you can make a case for, an RSP, for a business one having a salary and then, then make make the RSP contributions with a tax-free savings account. I've done the math on it. It makes sense to take money out of a corporation, pay the tax and reinvest in a tax-free savings account. That's interesting. Yeah, it just, it makes sense financially. Portfolio management, you know, there's so many different ways to manage a portfolio today. So many different options out there. What's your belief? What's your strategy? Um, I think we mentioned before, I'm a reform broker. And I think the, the fact that I worked on Bay Street for the first 14 years of my career, that I saw all the, you know, everything that was wrong with Bay Street and especially on the portfolio management side, you know, trying to you know, predict the future, pick stocks, do this and that, this and that investment that I, for, for me, I just, I got to the point where I said, well, there's gotta be a better way. And during the time, I guess the one smart thing I did when I was a broker is I went and got my my chartered financial analyst designation, my CFA designation. And that kind of opened up a bit of a, a window. And, and so I started looking for alternatives and uh, this is where we're getting an investment philosophy. I went to a conference called the Canada Cup of Index Management. And so it was basically on, on exchange traded funds or, or ETFs. And they had, you know, at the time they had 
this woman named Abby Joseph Cohen, who was the you know the chief strategist with Goldman Sachs, and and you know they're getting up there and they have their charts and darts and talking about this and that. And the last speaker of the day was a guy named Eugene Junior Eugene Fama Junior. Gene Fama, Nobel yep. Prize winner, his, his son, son right? his son, but his son is 100% different than his father because he's got long hair, he talks like a surfer, but he's brilliant, right? And he gets up the last presentation of the day and he said, everything you heard today is just BS, ignore it all. This is what you want to, this is what you want to look at and started talking about evidence-based investing. And I was blown away. I said, who is this guy? And he works with this company called Dimensional. So that kind of opened the door to say, well, there's got to be a better way. And I started doing my research and, I, and that was the big turning point to becoming what I say, kind of an evidence-based investor. Interesting. So here I'm thinking you've got 14 years of experience as a broker, learning, ma making mistakes, having some wins. You're a CFA, one of the highest designations you can get in, in the financial industry. You're a Queen's business grad, and yet you still don't believe in individual stock picking. So how is the individual investor, uh, why do they think they can do it? Um, good question. It's, it's per, it, um, overconfidence, perhaps. Um, I think the other thing with, which, which I did as an advisor and you know CFA is, is I actually analyzed what I did and compared it to the market. If I was actively picking stocks, I would take it and look over long periods of time and say, wow, I, I could just do better buying the market. Why am I doing all these other things? So it was kind of a humbling experience. You know, am I really adding value here? Well, that's, a, that's that basically I, I came to the conclusion that I was not adding value. If anything, I was subtracting value. And I thought, well, if I can use a, like a passive approach, not picking the stocks, just doing index or, or you know, a bit more complicated factor-based investing or like enhanced indexing investing, I'll do a better job for my clients. That's interesting. Good. That's a good revelation for our audience. Let's talk about income taxes because my belief is income taxes is extremely important. Keeping the taxes low, we have a high marginal tax rate in this country and by the sounds of things, they may even get higher. What are your thoughts and what are your, do you have any key strategies to reduce income tax or just the basics? Um, well, I think that they're the basics, but not many people follow them. Uh, basically what, what you want to do is defer as much investment income as possible. So capital gains and especially deferred capital gains. Right. So you know you buy something today and hold it for twenty years, and and the the benefit of that is it's a deferred capital, so you're not paying tax in um, each year versus you know if you say like interest income or dividends, you're paying tax on that every year. So the most tax efficient thing is deferred capital capital gains, and the other interesting thing is that you're gaining a compounded return because you're not paying that tax, so that money you're saving tax is compound. So, so that's kind of number one is a buy and hold strategy, you know, buy and hold. So dividends are great because you're getting a nice income, but what you're saying is even though they're tax preferred, you're still better off with an unrealized capital gain exactly. and continuing to grow that. Exactly. Well, di di dividends, 
And there's nothing wrong with it. This is it's interesting because I think it seems to be every time I look at the globe, like every day I look at something like the Globe and Mail, there's an article about dividend stocks. And it's, and, and, and there's not that there's anything wrong with dividend stocks, but there's just a better approach. Right. And I think instead of doing dividend stocks, if you do a market-based portfolio, like, you know, index fund or ETF or, or, or something, uh, something like that, you're, you're focusing more on deferred gains, which is the most tax efficient thing you can do. I also find that sometimes we'll, we know fixed income returns are really low now. And see, we'll say, well, I'm just going to go buy a couple of the banks and, 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 and get their dividends. And they seem to equate the risk level to be the same. And yet we all know that the price of Royal Bank can go down 50% in a big correction like it did in 2008. Yeah. So people tend to forget that when they're looking at, they get attracted by the shiny dividend and ignore all the other factors. Yeah. Kids' education, is that, do you do anything to save for children's education? Do you have any strategies there that have been helpful? Is the RESP enough or do you do any interest accounts or income splitting, anything like that? Um, so far, the RESPs have been enough. And the, the best, what, like, what my recommendation with RESPs is start as soon as possible. Right. Get money in there and, and, and you've got, you know, someone just, you know, someone just born, you've got 18 years. So you can be really aggressive. You can have a hundred percent equities, equity portfolio in RESP in the first few years. And I kind of use the expression, you know, beg, bore and steal, try and get money in there. You get the government grants. And the other thing, which not many people do it, and it's, I'll admit it's hard to do, but if you've got enough money, it actually makes sense to put in excess capital, capital, um, over and above the allotted amount. Yeah, exactly. And you get that money in there and you get that growing for for 18 years. Or, and uh, that, when I've done that strategy, we've had more than enough for four or five years of school. It's interesting you say that. I've seen strategies where they basically pre-fund. If you've got the money, you could pre-fund the RESP account and you give up government grants, but you've got the money in there growing free of tax until they head off to university or college. Yeah. So a huge yeah. advantage. Let's talk about some of the themes that are going on today. We know the markets have had a great run for the last, call it 18 months since the, the bottom of COVID, um, you know, and when we used to call it the coronavirus. Cryptocurrencies seem to be everywhere. I recently saw them on the streets of New York being sold on a street corner. What are your thoughts on cryptocurrencies and, and maybe specifically even something like Bitcoin? Um, I think the underlying technology, the blockchain technology, has incredible opportunity. So um, just the, you can apply it for various things. It's higher, higher security, you know, it's, it's security advantages. You've got, you know, this ledger um, that, it, you know, that, that technology is here to stay. Cryptocurrencies is just an application of a, black, a blockchain technology. Right. So it's just an application. And so I think with my feeling on it, when I look at Bitcoin and, and you know, like I looked at it first, I looked at it, I think it was $200 when I first looked at it. And, and I looked at it and said, this doesn't make sense to me because there's nothing backing it. 
It could be worth two, $200, it could be worth a dollar. Um, or or $40 some odd thousand dollars today. And, and my, you know, obviously like, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I should have bought some at $200, but at then I didn't think it made sense. And, and at 40,000, I think it even more doesn't make sense because there's nothing back in it. It's just, it's kind of the, you buy a Bitcoin, like you, it's the kind of the greater fool theory. There's nothing backing it up. You buy it at 40,000, you got to sell it to someone else at a higher price. And that's the game you're playing. Yeah. And, and people think they may hold this for a while, but really what, you, you're going to tie your money up in something that may or may not go up. At least with stocks, you, you know they're out making a product and producing income. That's right. Well, exactly. Well, stocks, stocks, there's cash flow. They, they, they do something. They make money. They have cash flow. They make, make earnings. There's nothing. Bitcoin's a, a commodity. Non-refundable tokens. What are your thoughts on those? <laughs> Another kind of trendy thing. Once again, a, like a, a really neat application of technology. Yeah. But it, it just, it, it fits in the category of collectibles. You know, you can, and, and it, although it's like a digital token, but it's like a piece of art, you know, and you could think a piece of art's worth a thousand dollars or a million, but there's no, you know, like if you, you know, thinking of trying to sell it, you got to sell it to someone at a higher price down the road, but there's nothing really backing it up. It's just whether you like it or not. Right. And I think just the, the fact that there's the digital token, you get the, the frothiness, right. you know, the fact that it's digital and you get these things that haven't been, you'd be able to buy and sell before you get that kind of hype and, and, and then you, you know, the, the prices of the, these things seem kind of really, you know, unreasonable compared to what you're buying. Compared to what you're buying. I mean, yeah. the reality, especially today, you know, if you, you own 30 seconds or 15 seconds of a football game, I'm just not sure how, how that all turns out to be worth $100,000 one day, unless it's the greatest catch of all time. And, you're probably not going to be able to buy that one. Yeah, exactly. Tell me about robo-advisors. You know, we all hear the ads on the radio. We hear, you know, whether it's Simple or Questrade. They seem to say you don't need a financial advisor anymore. Why do you think people should have a financial advisor? What's the difference? Or why not just do it yourself? I think there's a... There's a, I can make a case for someone if you've got a very straightforward, maybe a one, like maybe an RSP only, and you know, you don't have any, any other considerations. So it's very, I could say make a case, oh, you know, you don't really need an advisor that if you're doing this, you can use a robo advisor, which they're just taking advantage of, of technology. Though, so just purely on execution of an investment, you know, the portfolio management execution, I can see there's a, there's a place, place for that. The thing is what I, what I find for, for most people is they need planning right. and they need behavior management. People make mistakes. And you can see that with the robo-advisors when there's a correction in market turmoil, uh, in which happened in, in COVID. You, you could not, you keep dealing with a robo-advisor, they couldn't get hold of anyone. They couldn't, you know, people were calling in to change their portfolio and they couldn't get a hold of anyone, but if you're working with a financial advisor, they would have educated you before saying, this is, you know, this is what's, we can, you know, 
you know, not we're predicting it's going to happen, but we sh should have an expectation that we'll have corrections. And you and, can walk them through it and, and help can, them get through it. Exactly, exactly. And if you look at the number of clients that robo-advisors have taken on, and you know, some of those are you know, pretty small minimums, there's no way they can have enough people on the phone to answer all the calls that are going to come in at the worst time. Yeah, and, and there was complaints about it when, when COVID hit last year. So what's the hardest part of your job? You know, when do you think you really earn your keep? I think I, I've always used the kind of a, a, a tongue-in-cheek joke that, you know, what would you do? Like, well, you know, I kind of do, you know, financial planning. I do investment management. Maybe I'll call that wealth management, packaging that together. And, you know, 90% of the time I'm doing wealth management until things get tough or someone runs into and an individual client runs into, you know, some reason, you know, they, they're, they're afraid about something, you know, they want to cash out or, or their, their needs change. And then my job changes where I'm not 90% wealth manager. I'm a 90% psychologist. Right. And, and my hardest part of my job, like during COVID, you know, with the equity markets went down by 34% in 33 days, like that's stressful, but people are relying on me. And yeah. you've been doing it long enough. You trust the long-term results and the process. Exactly. Well, they, you, yeah, I trust trust the process, and and also the, the advantage of having experience in doing this for a while is that I lived through two really big bear markets. You know, nineteen ninety nine, two thousand, the, the crash of the tech bubble, and the financial crisis, two thousand two. 2008, 2009. And it just basically what, what got me through it is faith in the future. Like we got to stick with it. This, this will work. We just, you know, and, and there were some tough days during that and tough conversations with clients, but you're, you're vindicated by staying with the plan. If you had a chance, is there anything you would do differently as a financial advisor? Looking at today, I, I you know, I, I, I guess I wish I would have, you know, instead of doing 14 years of being broke, I wish I would have figured that out earlier, earlier, but where I'm at today, I'm, um, I think I, I don't think I change a thing. That's great. Steve, thank, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Rob. This is Rob McClellan from McClellan Financial Group with Think Smart with TMLG. Thanks for joining us today. been listening to the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management Limited. Asante Capital Management Limited is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. Insurance products and services are provided through Asante Estate and Insurance Services Incorporated. This material is provided for general information and is subject to change without notice. Every effort has been made to compile this material from reliable sources. However, no warranty can be made as to its accuracy or completeness. Before acting on any of the previous information, 
please make sure to see a professional advisor for individual financial advice based on your personal circumstances. The opinions expressed are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Asante Capital Management Limited.